Welcome back to another episode as we are celebrating the Navy's 248th birthday today and speaking with Chris Towney Townsend. Towney is a naval aviator and ended his military career as a commander and the commanding officer of the NASC here in Orlando. He is also an airline pilot and currently serves as the 52nd national president at Navy League of the United States. Towney, welcome to the show. Enrique, great to be here, brother. We're so glad to have you. And folks, we are celebrating this monumentous 248th birthday of the Navy this week. But before we get into all of that chatter, uh, Tony, tell us a little bit about you, the Navy League, and your role in the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you said, I served 22 years in the Navy, both active duty and reserve, did retire as a as a commander and thoroughly enjoyed every minute of my service in the Navy. And through a turn of events, I decided to continue to serve out of uniform and got involved with the Navy League of the United States here locally in Orlando, worked my way up to council president here. I say without hesitation that the Orlando Navy League Council is one of the best in the world, which we're super proud of because we're a landlocked council. We're not in a fleet concentration area, but we can hold our own against the big dogs in San Diego and Hawaii and Norfolk. That basically led me to get onto the, uh, the national radar. And this past June, I was installed as the 52nd national president, chairman of the board for the Navy League. So 121 year old organization started by Teddy Roosevelt in 1902, 31,000 members across the globe, 190 councils. Our mission is simple, educate, advocate, and support. We educate the citizens of the United States and around the world about the sea services of the United States and the needs of our, our members and our sea services. We advocate for those needs locally and on Capitol Hill, and then we support in a variety of ways. We adopt units, ships, squadron, reserve centers. We have a very uh, symbiotic relationship with the Sea Cadet Program, which, which the Navy League actually stood up in 1961. Fabulous program for uh, 12 to 18 year old young men and women around the country. We actually uh, provide the sea cadets with their headquarters offices in our, in our uh, headquarters building up in Arlington. So we are supporting the sea services, our Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard and Merchant Marine around the globe every day and really, really proud of that role. I love it because I remember back in 2000, I would say seven or eight. I got involved with the sea cadets in Gulfport, Mississippi, ended up becoming a unit CO, which was the best thing. I was still in active duty. So that was kind of like a duality thing, but thoroughly enjoyed that program and know that the Navy league really supports those young men and women to get exposed to what it is to be the military. It's not a recruiting thing, but it's just an exposure thing, but it builds community and it builds our youth. And it actually allows them to see more than what they normally would see in their community. So I was happy about that. Yeah, it's, it's a fabulous program. You know, it, it teaches them. It's, it's kind of a military-based scouts program, if you will. They do wear uniforms, but they, they learn the value of duty, honor, and country. And they learn the, to appreciate military order and discipline and physical fitness. And, you know, frankly, in my mind, 
These are the future leaders of America. It's getting them off their, their cell phones and, and away from the computers and getting them out there. I couldn't be more proud of them. We have them do uh, color guards for our events. Um, and it is so just awesome to see them up on an early Saturday morning in uniform, looking razor sharp, carrying the colors of our country. So it, it's a super program that we're proud to support. I totally agree. Now, in 2012, I became familiar with the Navy League. So at first, I knew them as a supporting cast. Then when I got to Hawaii, I I knew them. And I tell you, the Navy League has been such an impactful organization in my life. In Hawaii, you mentioned one of the you know the big dogs, <laughs> Pearl Harbor, and and Hawaii has to happen to have one of the bigger councils. But they do a lot of great things, and and combined with the military, but. One thing that changed from me being in Hawaii to being in here in Florida, Orlando, was the advent of the membership difference. And I want you to talk a little bit about that because it was not a thing when I was in to have military as members, but now they can be. Yeah, actually, um, that was a 60-year restriction we had. We're not 100% sure why that restriction was put in place. It was during World War II. There was actually a restriction placed in our bylaws that uh, members of the military and Congress could not be active members of the Navy League. And actually, I, I was the one that facilitated that change, and it was a big rock to push. We had a lot of passionate feelings on both sides of that argument. You know, some folks were like, hey, I don't want some admiral coming in and telling me how to run my Navy League. And I was like, let me assure you, no admiral has time to worry about your Navy League. We are uh, aggressively seeking active duty membership in the Navy League. We are excited about that opportunity for our organization because the Navy League, like every membership organization around the globe, is struggling right now with membership. People don't join like they used to. You know, uh, back in our father's time with the uh, the Elks Lodge or the American Legion, you know, people are not joining. You know, they got everything they need right there on that phone in front of their face. So, yeah, we are challenged with uh, with with membership. You know, COVID dealt everybody a. Uh, a, a really uh, dreadful blow, but we stemmed the uh, the loss of members, and we were actually uh, we we went down to about twenty seven thousand. Now we're back up to thirty one. We're uh, we're hoping to announce some exciting uh, changes uh, on the active duty front here at the end of the year. Uh, we're really hoping to grow our active duty numbers. Well, and then my aim is to help you in that effort. So the chiefs mess that are listening and all the chiefs members. There is an opportunity to now become a member of the Navy League. And I'll tell you, you can't go wrong anywhere you go that there may be a council. And he even here in Orlando, where it's landlocked, right? <laughs> even here, you have an, a home and you have an opportunity to do great things for the community. And so I encourage and I charge the Chiefs Mess with uh, taking that on. I tell you real quick, let me, uh, so I was on September 11th of this year. Uh, I had the unique opportunity to be uh, sit with Mick Pond 16, Jim Honey in his office in the Pentagon. Very uh, surreal day to be at the Pentagon. Um, we earlier in the day had uh, met with the Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Frank Parker, had invited us in to talk with him and his staff about how the Navy League could assist with the, uh, the Navy's recruiting challenges that they're experiencing now. And we had a great conversation. My uh, CEO that I work extremely closely with is, is Mick Pond 13, Mike Stevens. You want to talk about leadership. That's about five episodes right there with that guy. But uh, 
So uh, Mick Pond Stevens uh, took me down to his office. Uh, Jim Honey's become a, a, a ardent supporter of the Navy League. And we had this very conversation and the value both ways for having active duty join, join the Navy League. We talk every day about trying to get younger. You know, we have an aging demographic and, um, you know, get more energy into the organization. And, that, and I preach every day. There's no, no, you know, there's no, no bigger joiners than those that have raised their, raised their right hand to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. You bring in youth and diversity in the organization. So we, we are excited to welcome active duty into the Navy League. And I'm excited to encourage that <laughs> infusion of active duty. Now, Tony, you mentioned leadership, right? Great leadership. And I know both uh, Mick Pond Stevens and Mick Pond, and I love them both and what they're doing. But during your time in service, you got to get to the, you know, the CO. A CO is not just a, uh, just a person that just drops by. You have to attain that position. So what pivotal leadership moments did you learn from while you were serving in the military? You know, uh, through a, you know, a variety of different units in my time in service, you know, you have, you have a new commanding officer role in every, every year, two years in some cases. And, you know, everybody's got a different feel and flavor. You know, you, you got to adjust to, to the, uh, the various leadership styles. You know, some are a little bit better than others, but I, I, I can say with confidence that uh, military leadership, the leadership in the Navy is, is fairly consistently awesome. You know, it's, uh, we've got a, a 248 year heritage. So these, uh, you know, the leadership traits have been passed from generation to generation. There are some that stand out as, um, exceptional leaders. You know, it, it's really more of the general traits that I, that I took on board leadership by example, uh, setting clearly setting expectations and goals allowing subordinates to do their job without micromanaging them, you know, and um, give them the tools to do their job correctly. You know, those, those are the folks that people rally around and um, they're, they're the ones that get the job done. I totally agree. You know, I, and as you're mentioning that, that one key, letting people do their job, right? You, you bring them in, for a certain specific skill set, you gotta let them do their job, right? Absolutely. And the mess is a great addition to facilitating that being done. So, so thank you for that. Now, if you could think of somebody that impacted you uh, as a leader, who, who would that be? You know, honestly, uh, I think I've I've been impacted more serving and working with Mike Stevens, even though you know not necessarily in a military role. But just watching him operate with our staff, you know, we've got a 36-person headquarters team, and watching how Mike just so steadily uh, leads that group. Before we were had the luxury of bringing Mike on board the organization, we had high turnover, and we were going through executive directors, you know, a couple a year, and um, hiring Mike Stevens, uh, he really steadied the ship. Our turnover has stopped. He has the entire staff marching in the same direction, rowing in the same direction. And just watching him operate with such an even keel, you know, clearly setting goals, timelines, expectations, and watching everyone respond and, and take that autonomy that he's provided them and just run with it. It's just really, really inspiring. 
and I say that every day that, you know, he, he's the greatest leader that I've had the opportunity to work, work alongside. He um, served under two different chief of naval operations, Admiral Greenert for two years, and then Admiral Richardson for two years. Admiral Richardson is actually on our board, and I have the opportunity to work with him. Another, abs- you know, incredible, incredible leader. Jamie Fogo is a retired four-star. His last role was chief of naval forces Europe and Africa. Jamie runs and is the dean of our Center for Maritime Strategy, a maritime think tank that the Navy League started up. And, uh, you know, just being around leaders of that caliber, a John Richardson and a Jamie Fogo, it can't help but rub off a little bit, I hope. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're legendary leaders and uh, just, a, just a great opportunity to serve with them. Yeah, legendary leaders indeed. Uh, and I can definitely uh, vouch for McFarland Stevens that he was so impactful uh, to us while in service and I know is impactful in the Navy League today. Now, you mentioned the symbiotic relationship with the Navy, Navy League. We kind of support each other and we're, we're always thinking about the future, right? So, having served in the military, in the Navy, uh, now being out and looking at that uh, relationship, what is your perspective about the future of the U.S. Navy? It speaks volumes to the credibility that we've attained as the Navy League. Uh, CNO Gilday, Admiral Gilday, actually visited our headquarters building four times last year. First time we've ever had a sitting CNO actually visit our headquarters. And we do have an incredible relationship with our uh, with our Navy leadership. Uh, Wednesday night, I was in D.C. Uh, at, at an incredible event hosted by our National Capital Council, where we provided uh, Senator Angus King from Maine the uh, Congressional Sea Service Leadership Award. Uh, had the opportunity to uh, uh, speak with uh, Lisa Franchetti, who is who will be our next CNO when she's approved by uh, Congress and the Senate. Uh, you, you know that that process is being held up right now. But uh, first female uh, chief of naval operations, uh, Linda Fagan broke that glass ceiling as the first service chief, as the commandant of the Coast Guard. Admiral Fagan is a, is a great friend of the Navy League. She was not at the event, but uh, her vice commandant, Admiral uh, Poland, was there, uh, Vice Admiral Poland, and uh, just another great American had the opportunity to speak with Secretary of the Navy at the event. So we are we are embedded with the leadership of the Navy. And I can tell you that uh, I'm highly, highly encouraged where our Navy is going. You know, we, we have uh, we are facing challenges now uh, with a near peer threat from China that we haven't faced in many, many years since the uh, fall of the Iron Curtain. You know, it has taken some adjustments and some reprioritization uh, from our military, uh, but we're getting after it, and we're uh, we're going to be ready to face the the Chinese challenge. But you know, there is a dramatic shift to unmanned uh, vehicles, both um, on the surface, undersea, and in the air. The the entire Fifth Fleet AOR um, has got an an unmanned presence in the entire Fifth Fleet. They're uh, doing that also down in the fourth fleet to help uh, regulate the illegal, unregulated, unreported fishing uh, activities by the Chinese. They bring in these massive ships, uh, the mother ships, and then they just go out and 
and uh, harvest everything and, and illegally in the in the waters. And so we're uh, we're bringing in an unmanned force to help combat those those issues down there. But um, you know, you look at the uh, the Gerald R. Ford class uh, carrier that's out there right now. Uh, the Ford is is just a uh, technological wonder with all the advancements that that carrier has. You look at the Columbia class submarines that are being built right now, the F-35s that are flying in the Navy now, the the, uh, the V-22 Ospreys that have, that have taken a, the ver vertical replenishment role uh, from the Navy's C-46s. We are dealing with this technologically. Uh, our troops are trained well. Our sailors and Marines are well-equipped. I, I, uh, I feel very strongly about uh, the future of the Navy. You look at the last round of military budgets, and we had a, a historic amount of funding for all the all of our armed services, which is absolutely uh, essential to meet this Chinese threat that we're facing. I agree. And Admiral Fantetti and Mick Pond have history in the in the Pacific theater when they were serving together at Forces Korea. So I know they have a good background. Uh, for the threats that are coming up in your leadership time, what pearls of wisdom did you get that you said, oh, you know, I'm going to keep these and I'm going to use them in the future. Some that you would like to share today. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, but it, it really boils down to lead by example, you know, uh, show up early, leave late, uh, get things, get things done ahead of schedule and under budget. Um, and, uh, you know, open lines of communication. I always, uh, uh, I, I always, you know, tried to get to know my sailors, um, members of my air crews to get to know their families and uh, the challenges that, the, that them and their families were having and just let them know you care. Um, and, and I found that um, given that little bit of compassion goes a long way for them to go the extra mile for you and, and to make you look good. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's just kind of how I try to try to do things again, clearly setting expectations, clearly establishing goals and timelines, um, so that no one has any misconception of where, where we're heading and when we need to get there. And absolutely. I am a proponent for leading by example. That's where it starts. It starts with you and all the leaders that are listening. Don't look any further, <laughs> look in the mirror and that's where it starts. And if you get that right, I think it can lead plenty of folk. Now there, we mentioned the challenge, the recruiting challenge, and it's across the board. It uh, is. We're just dealing with a different time and not everybody is as patriotic or running to maps, <laughs> trying to take ASVABs, but there are some young men and women and we see it in the sea cadets all the time that are ready to serve. And, and for those that are in that capacity right now, they're thinking, man, I, I have, I want to serve my country. What advice would you give those entering the military service today? Yeah. Hit, hit the deck plates running. Anytime you show up at a new unit ship squadron, um, set the bar early, let them know who you are, uh, turn heads and, and make them go out. Wow. This uh, this young man, you know, young man or young woman is uh, is is getting it done and aggressive and a hard worker. Um, 
you want to establish that reputation early. But um, yeah, you know, the, uh, the sea cadets, um, they are the future. And uh, we, we have found that 10% um, of every uh, Naval Academy class were former sea cadets. Um, so it, it is a great a gateway to, um, to get into the military. And they actually get credit uh, if they enlist in the, uh, in the service, um, they actually get credit for their time as sea cadets and come in at a higher, uh, higher rank. Um, but, uh, you know, just take those examples you, that you learn um, and employ them every day and, and uh, you'll be successful. I totally agree. Now, Tony, we spoke about the Navy League. We spoke about the sea cadets. And we spoke a little bit about your history. If somebody wanted a little more uh, information of Towney or anything that you're doing, and especially about the Navy League, how would they do that? And where would they get that information? Our website's a great place to start, NavyLeague.org. If you want to reach out to me, email me directly at nationalpresident at NavyLeague.org. I promise I'll get back to you right away. I love talking about the Navy League. And, and let's not forget, Enrique, you know, we started off the program talking about, you know, today, 248 years ago, Continental Congress approved the arming of ships to try to impede the uh, British uh, resupply of their troops over here. 248 years of amazing history. And uh, the Navy League's there to support, support our sea services. Uh, at least for the last 121 of those years. So uh, it's a great organization. We've got a great military service. You know, I come from a Navy family. My, uh, my nephew's flying Super Hornets. He's a uh, Lieutenant Commander uh, out in Lemoore, California. He's getting ready to transition to the uh, F-35. He was a, a Top Gun instructor. So he's gonna be the, uh, the uh, uh, training officer at the uh, school where new students learn how to how to fight the f-35 and he'll be he'll be leading that education my son is in pensacola right now in uh, navy flight school he flies he flies uh, a little later today uh, i couldn't be prouder but um you know we uh we are a military family very proud of our navy and our 248 year heritage as i said earlier i'm very very confident about the future of our navy and our military and you know we'll, we'll figure out this rec these recruiting challenges figure out how to resonate with the youth of today. And it's a, it's a different market, you know, these, they have different priorities and we're learning how to reach out to them, you know, through their phones and through the things that resonate with them. And that's, that's key. We just, you just have to be able to adapt, but uh, we've got amazing leaders in the military and they're, they're going to get after it, figure it out. Absolutely. Now folks, we're going to have that information as part of the video and show notes. So you can get a hold of Townie, the Navy League, and potentially seek it that if you have youth between the ages of 10, 18, and you can get them to a, a local secret that unit, that would be great because they, as Townie mentioned, they actually get credit for their time with the secret debts, get into a higher pay grade if they choose to be enlisted. And it also facilitates a great uh, resume for the academies. If they're going that way, I had two young men, uh, uh, one young man, one young lady 
both get into the academy and uh, and it was a, a great thing to see now folks we are celebrating 248 years of outstanding naval service in our nation and we want you to celebrate with us want to also remind you that today's episode is sponsored by fantail services and superpass which are powering our website and app southern sweet and sassy coffee and Hotchester, london if you've enjoyed this episode and learned something interesting about the topic covered today, make sure to subscribe and let us know by leaving a comment. We're always looking for new ideas and guests that we can add to the show. So if you know someone or have a topic that you would like featured on the podcast or want to sponsor our show, we love to hear about it by sending us an email at triadleadershipsolutions at gmail.com and be sure to tune in next week for another episode where we dissect leadership from another angle. And as we like to end the show, success to you.